It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Welcome into the Locked on Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. Thank you for joining us on this Friday afternoon. Joe Goodberry coming up in less than 60 seconds. On Twitter, at James Rapine, at Locked on Bengals. Subscribe to this podcast, audioboom.com. Also on iTunes. If you missed... Wednesday's podcast, we had Dave Lapham on. He was really great. John Ledyard, NFL draft analyst, was on yesterday. Go back and listen to those if you're looking for Bengals draft insight. The draft is 27 days away. And to talk more about the draft is Joe Goodberry. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, as always, man, I appreciate the time. Having me, James. Joe, let's, uh, let's take a second before we get to the draft and look at Kevin Minner who the Bengals signed uh, about two weeks ago. It's probably their their biggest free agent acquisition so far. When you pop on the tape and watch the linebacker, what's, uh, what do you think of his play? Yeah, I went back and watched a bunch of his games from the past year and then a couple of, uh, couple of games from the year before that. He's really only been starting full-time for two years for the, for the Cardinals, but he did play about 1,000 snaps, about 100% of the snaps. Uh, the last two years, playing a nickel for them, playing in coverage, and doing a decent job, even though that's not what he's known for. And when you watch him, he's very similar to what the Bengals have always liked at linebacker, which is uh, a run defender first, a smart guy, dependable guy. Uh, he's not the most athletic. And uh, for fans and analysts, we keep claiming that the Bengals need to get an athletic guy at linebacker. We need to get some speed at linebacker. And they just never seem to really do it or make a full commitment to it. So I think that's the that's the confusing part is Minter, while a good player and a reliable player, and should be a starter for them, I don't know how he fixes the issues they had at linebacker last year and the year before that, maybe even go back three years. Uh, they've had issues with coverage and, and uh, matching up with athletes, matching up with, with running backs in the flats, with tight ends. And a lot of that is because they lack athleticism and speed at linebacker. So Minter doesn't fix that. Yes, you're adding a good player. Uh, you're adding uh, a starter, a guy that can play every down if needed because the Bengals have had issues with that. Perfect hasn't been uh, reliable, whether it's health or suspension. Uh, we saw Ray, Ray Maluga is now released, but he was losing his job, lost his starting job. They weren't sure what they are going to do at the same spot, whether that's Vincent Ray, whether that's Nick Vigil. So I understand the the signing of Kevin Minter. I just don't think it fills uh, the missing piece for them. Joe, when you you look at the signing of Kevin Minter, and it, it pretty much 
marked the end of the the Bengals' life of, of Ray Maoluga, 2008 second-round draft pick. You look at his career, and I think a lot of people look at it as an underachieving career, and I, I've made, made fun of Ray Maoluga plenty of times on this podcast. But you look back at his stats, he had over 500 tackles for the Bengals, had some productive seasons. Yeah, and he was a member of a lot of good defenses and a lot of playoff runs. Uh, I, I remember Ray Maluga pretty fondly. I, I was very excited when they drafted him. Big time player coming out of USC. Uh, went in the second round, which was kind of a slide for him for what people originally projected. And he came in and started at Sam linebacker uh, because they just needed a, a run stuffer on the early downs. And it turns out that's what he should have been his entire career. Uh, when they wanted to move him into middle linebacker and make him play all three downs, he was exposed. He looked slow. He looked bad in coverage. That never was who he was supposed to be anyways. I think the expectations coming in were high. I think the expectations after a good rookie year got even higher. I think the expectations were if he's going to be a three-down guy, he could be the heart of this defense. He could be a physical presence. He's going to be the guy that's calling the plays. And he just never materialized into that guy. He never became a different player than really what he should have been. Go back and read his, his scouting reports coming out of USC. And it's exactly who he was. And he was a fine player. He just, I think the era of the NFL going to three wide receivers, going to nickel defense for most of the game, really cut down on his impact or his potential impact. If it was 1998 instead of 2008, I think we look at Ray Maluga as a much different player. And uh, overall, it was a solid career. Joe Goodberry joins us today on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Really good Twitter follow at Joe Goodberry, especially this time of year. He's all over the NFL draft and the Bengals draft. And, Joe, you look at this draft, and the Bengals have the ninth pick in the first round, 11 picks overall. Let's start in round one. Who do you think would, would be the right pick, maybe, or, or a guy that will have the best and, and biggest impact on a team that certainly needs it this upcoming season? I think it's hard to pick a guy that's going to be have the, the right pick or the biggest impact. I'm not sure that guy's going to be there. The Bengals are sitting just outside of the elite prospects in this draft, and there is a big, meaty section of that second tier of prospects that's going to be between pick 8 and pick 45, where it's very similar talent throughout that, that portion of the draft. And the Bengals are going to have to make one of those first picks of, a, of that second tier guy. So I'm not sure there's someone there that I point at and say, He's got to be the pick. Now, for me, I would say it's Corey Davis, the wide receiver out of Western Michigan, just because I think he's fantastic and should end up being a top 10, 12 wide receiver in the NFL. I really believe that. I don't think they see it the same way. I'm not sure they do, and I'm not sure they want to take a receiver. I'm not saying they won't. I think they want to take a defensive end, and a defensive end class that's loaded. The top two guys that I think are elite prospects are Miles Garrett and Solomon Thomas should be gone. I think they will be gone. I think that's guaranteed at this point. Uh, I think now do you want to take the next best defensive end? Do you want to take a guy at nine that's maybe slightly or or not even better than the guy you can have at 41 as a pass rusher? I don't think the difference between Derek Barnett, Taco Charlton, Tack McKinley, uh, Charles Harris, Carl Lawson, uh, T.J. Watt, or, or, or Derek Rivers is, is a big gap at all. I don't think there's a difference between any of those guys. I, I think there's a lot of pressure for that pick if they want to pick a defensive end. I think just based on name and production, you would say, okay, take Derek Barnett. I'd rather take that risk with a guy that I know is productive in college, a guy no plays right defensive end, can win around the outside edge, 
Uh, yeah, he may have some issues. He needs to get stronger. He needs to he needs to develop a power move and an inside move, and he needs to to trim his body down a little bit and get in the NFL shape. Sure, that's fine for a ninth pick. But I think the pressure of picking the first defensive end when the whole next group is equally as talented, you can't miss. You don't want to miss on that pick because a lot of teams are behind you. Are probably going to pick a defensive end and could end up with a guy better than you. I don't know where they go at this point. I think it's probably Derek Barnett, but I think they could also say, let's take the best player available. And that could be Corey Davis. That could be Leonard Fournette. That could be John Ross. I think it could be OJ Howard. So they have options. I'm just not sure one of them is a direct impact player unless they're going to build around Leonard Fournette, unless they're going to say, okay, we're going two tight ends with, with OJ Howard, unless they say, okay, yeah, we signed LaFell. Yeah, we like Tyler Boyd. But we're gonna we're gonna uh, incorporate Corey Davis in a three wide receiver offense and really spread it out. If that's the case, these guys can have an impact. Other than that, I think they're gonna take the best player and and they want a defensive end at that spot. He's Joe Goodberry and Joe, you're, you're right. I, I think as of now, 27 days away, everything I'm hearing, I would say defensive end or wide receiver. And though they lean defensive end, and I know they want to take a defensive end, but out of those guys you mentioned. In, in, in McKinley and Rivers, I wouldn't be shocked. And I know this is crazy, but it seems like someone always falls every year. I wouldn't be shocked if one of those guys fell to even round three. And I know that might oh, sound sure. crazy, but if you could potentially get one of those guys, and they waited patiently on Andrew Billings last year. Bengals draft Twitter went crazy, and they ended up getting him in round four. I think they might not could pass on a pass rusher until round three with that 73rd pick. Go back a couple of years ago, and it was a really good defensive line draft. I want to say 2014, it might have been 15, but it was really good defensive line draft. And guys like Trey Flowers for the uh, for the Patriots went in the fourth round. Guys like Daniel Hunter for the Vikings went in the third round. It was so deep that uh, these picks were going second, third, fourth round that probably should have been pushed up a little bit more. It, it, I, I want to say 2014, go back and look at that draft and just look at defensive line. It was really deep, and when we, when we see a deep class, a lot of times we think, okay, a lot of teams are going to pick these guys. But I also think teams say we can wait and get a similar talent, and I do think the Bengals understand that, and they see that because we've seen them do it before. Uh, that's why I do think they can end up taking a receiver or going best player available at another position uh, instead of reaching at nine. And when the similar talent could be there in the third round, it could be a, a, a Trey Hendrickson or Jordan Willis, or even I think Derek Rivers could be there in the third round. I, I think Tech McKinley with a shoulder injury could be there. Charles Harris had a terrible combine. He could be there in the third round. And those are all guys I'd love to take a chance on. Another guy, Demarcus Walker out of Florida state, not much of an edge guy, but he's going to play nickel defensive tackle, kind of like a Wallace Gilberry, a souped-up version of that, I, I think. Uh, he, I, I guarantee he's going to be there in the third round. And now while they want a, 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 an edge rusher, a guy like that that can play inside is invaluable too, as we've seen. So I definitely think you can wait. If it ends up going wide receiver, then you come in the second round, maybe it's running back. Maybe the best player there or, or the best value there is running back in round two, and you have to, have to take a uh, pass rusher in the third round. And, and, and what I think is so interesting, Joe, is, is listeners and, and fans, they're going to say, what? They need a pass rusher. And, and a, a few things come to mind when we talk about impact. Last year, the, the rookie with the biggest impact on the Bengals, I would say, would be was Tyler Boyd. And, yeah. and, and it's not unforeseen to see a, a capable wide receiver in his rookie season have a big-time 
uh, impact on a game, on a team. In the last couple years, let's say the last five years, six years, who had the biggest impact in their rookie year? Well, it was A.J. Green had a huge rookie season. Jeremy Hill had a huge rookie season. Tyler Boyd had a pretty good year last year. So if they go wide receiver running back, I totally understand it. And they have a history of nailing and and getting pass rushers, edge rushers, later in the draft. I know they they, they didn't do as well with with the Margus Hunt and and, and guys like that. But you look at Michael Johnson, third-round pick. Carlos Dunlap was a second-round pick. Geno Atkins was a fourth-round pick. They're not afraid to wait until the mid-rounds to to get their future pass rushers. And I even think a quality guy was Frosty Rucker. Heck, he's just yeah. signed an extension with the uh, with the Cardinals, uh, another one year deal. He's still playing. He was a third round pick, so uh, I could definitely see that. And I and then, while Marvin Lewis has talked about uh, you get the best pass rushers in the first round, and I think the history suggests that also. Uh, you in this class, you can wait, and because they have an Atkins, and because they have a Carlos Dunlap, they don't need the guy to come in and be their be their Vaughn Miller, be their DeMarcus Ware. I'm thinking of some of the best pass rushers. They don't need that guy. They need a guy that can come in and, and provide some speed and some agility and, and some quick rush. Something Michael Johnson is starting to lose. You get an athletic guy in there, it changes what you can do. And those guys can be had in the second, third, maybe even fourth round if, if this draft falls a certain way. Uh, but you're right about wide receiver and running back being impact players early for the Bengals. They seem to have hit those picks pretty regularly. And while Jeremy Hill now, the last two years, we've kind of soured on him. I wouldn't say that was a missed pick, especially what they got out of him that rookie year. If they feel they can get the same type of impact for an offense that needs a couple impact players right now, if they can get that at wide receiver at nine and running back at 41, this offense becomes a different team at that point. It becomes a, a much stronger, much much more athletic, a threat to score at any time type of team where – Another rookie you didn't mention, uh, Chris Henry had a big year for them uh, as a wide receiver. They've been able to hit on wide receiver, I think, for most of Marvin Lewis' era. Uh, Even Jerome Simpson took his time, but Andre Caldwell, I would say, was a decent hit in the third round. Uh, Jordan Shipley as a rookie, also big year. So I do think they're confident in getting an early impact from a wide receiver. Uh, I hope it's I hope it is the number nine pick. To be honest with you, We're looking at it and and if it falls the way I think it's going to fall, I can't see a scenario where it's not Corey Davis as the best player there. And and I think fans overall, Joe, they look at at these the needs of the Bengals, and, and it's two things: pass rusher and offensive line. I don't think they're taking an offensive lineman with any of their first three picks. They might take one with one of the compensatory picks in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round, but. The Bengals, there's a reason they ultimately left Andrew Whitworth walk, and that's because they have Cedric Abwehi. Like it or not, that's a guy that they drafted in the first round and they think potentially is going to be all right. And and they signed Andre Smith to potentially back him up, I guess. But ultimately, I, I look at this team, and everyone's going to say, you got to get to the, protect Andy and get to the passer. And, and I agree with both of those things. But I think they're going to give Jake Fisher and Cedric Abwehi a legitimate chance this year to show what they can do. Yeah, I don't think it's offensive line at all in the first two rounds, uh, maybe not even in the third. This center class is kind of weird because there's a couple of really good prospects, but they're not projected to go. And even Pat Elfline uh, from Ohio State isn't projected to go until late second, maybe even third round. So you look at it and you say, okay. Uh, maybe they see an upgrade at center, but I think they like Bodine. I really do. I think they, they've seen 
slight progression in them every year that they're confident enough to go with some more continuity by saying he's our starter. We're not going to flip you know more of the positions than we need to at this point. So I don't think the offensive line is coming to the fourth, fifth, sixth. I do expect two offensive line picks, maybe a backup swing tackle, maybe a backup interior offensive lineman. I just don't see it as a guy coming in to compete and start. I think their offensive line is pretty much set with the guys they have. Uh, unless someone gets hurt or really tanks it the first month of the season, uh, these are the guys, this is who they're going to go with. Now, how do you hide the offensive line? How do you help it out? Uh, they could be adding a tight end that can block, it, or unless they really do like Uzama or Croft. Uh, but if O.J. Howard's there, that helps out your offensive line. It could be getting a running back that you can lean on. And you may say, well, you need an offensive line before you take a running back. Yes and no, because we've seen good running backs make an offensive line look better. We've seen good offensive lines make a running back look better. Uh, if they're secure or they feel secure on the offensive line going forward, then you take a running back and you try and get a better guy that can make someone miss. Because right now, I'm not sure Hill or Bernard are the make-you-miss type guys. Uh, get a guy with better vision, because we saw the way Hill ran last year. His vision was terrible. You get a guy in with better vision that can help create, then that makes your offensive line look better. So there are ways to help the O-line and help the offense. I even think adding a receiver helps the offensive line. It may seem backwards, but if you go to the Eagles game, the Eagles have a great front seven. They have a great pass rush. They couldn't touch Andy Dalton. Why? Because the receivers were open within two seconds the entire game. They couldn't cover them. You get that all the time, or you add weapons to the point where defenses can't rush you. You spread them out, make them declare the four that are coming, and they rush with that four each time, and you've got five or six blockers you're going to have success, even with a bad offensive line. And so the Bengals can do it. They just have to figure out how do you want to do it. You know the offensive line will probably be a weakness, and you're not going to add premium talent to it. So put better talent on the outside, put better talent in the backfield, and you should be able to hide it a little bit more. Spending a few more minutes talking NFL Draft with Joe Goodberry. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, Dave Lapham came on the show Wednesday, and he pretty much said, the Bengals are going to consider a wide receiver. He could see them taking either Mike Williams or Corey Davis with that ninth pick. But then he didn't rule out them taking a, an all-out burner later in the draft. If they're in the first person that came to mind or, or wide receiver slash running back playmaker that came to mind was Curtis Samuel of Ohio State. But who are a few guys that you think maybe could be on their radar if they took a Davis or a Williams? Because it sounds like they're at least open to the idea of adding a bunch of playmakers and doing exactly what you said, which is get the ball out of Andy's hands quickly to, to make up for a, a down or, or average offensive line. Yeah, and I thought the same thing when, when, you, when I heard that he said they would take another one or possibility of taking a playmaker type. And Samuels was definitely a guy that, that popped into mind. I'm not sure what he is. If he's a better running back than wide receiver, I don't think it matters. I think he's a guy that you just get the ball into his hands uh, and, and you, you try and let him make someone miss. You try and see if he can rip one the way a Tyreek Hill did for the Chiefs. Because uh, I do think they have their three receivers set with, with Boyd being in the slot. So I don't think it's going to be an Andrew Hawkins that's going to take the, the, the majority of the reps uh, you know, at slot. I think it's going to be a, a strictly gadget guy if they did double dip. Or it could say, or you could say, okay, Corey Davis, for all his, for as good as he is, he isn't the vertical uh, deep threat. While he's fast and he does show the ball skills and, and and things like that, he's not Mike Williams' deep threat. He's not 
uh, John Ross deep threat, those type of guys. So if you did go with a Corey Davis, say you're in there in the third round and you say third, fourth, maybe in fifth, actually, uh, maybe a Josh Reynolds from Texas A&M, the guy that looks like Chris Henry, to be honest with you. And he has that vertical speed, great ball skills, runs good routes, especially vertically and attacks the football in the air, you say, okay, there's a red zone threat and a guy we can develop into being one of those type of uh, guys you bring in and, and have a little bit of rotation with. I could be, I could be convinced into a, like a Donald Pumphrey, uh, who's a running back returner, kind of looks like a Darren Sproles, but a, a skinnier version out of San Diego State. Maybe that's someone they're looking at like uh, to say, okay, we'll throw him some screens, we'll run some reverses with him, uh, we'll just try and get the ball into his hand. That's probably a fifth, sixth-round type of guy. Uh, I think it's interesting that they would consider two receivers, especially after after signing LaFell, after getting some production out of Cody Core. But I also think they realize that adding weapons and, and rotating those guys in there and move and a lot of like the, the way the Falcons did. You're building your offense around Julio Jones, but those other three, four, five receivers, they're all rotating in, offering different things, keeping the defenses guessing, and, and you're using more than, than, than one or two guys. The Bengals have struggled to substitute and get reps for everyone on their bench. I think adding talent is the best way to do it because it forces you to get those guys on the field. And maybe they realize that now, and maybe we'd see more of a rotation with the other receivers. Joe, I'm going to put you on the spot. Ideally, I think you lean Solomon Thomas in round one. Let's say he's not there. Corey Davis, is that that the pick? That would be mine. If it's up to me, I think Thomas is a, is a top five player. I think Corey Davis is a top five player in this draft. I think both make an immediate impact. Both fit perfectly for what the Bengals do. Uh, it should be a seamless transition, easy pick. I'm not confident they, they, they take Davis just because I do think they want a defensive end. If they do, I'm high-fiving and we're all having a good time if, if that's the pick. There's no doubt. I agree with you completely because I want Andy Dalton to have weapons uh, something he didn't have last year. He's exactly. Joe Goodberry. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Follow him right now if you haven't, and if you have, uh, good. That's smart. Uh, <laughs> Joe, as always, man, I appreciate the time. Thanks, Sam. He's Joe Goodberry. Follow him on Twitter. Like I said, follow us on Twitter, at Locked on Bengals, at James Rapine. Subscribe, iTunes, audioboom.com. If you missed Dave Lapham, go back and listen to that. Go back to yesterday's podcast. John Ledyard, InsideThePylon.com. Also locked on the NFL Draft Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Great stuff from him as well. It's been a great week of shows. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks for all the social media love. Until Monday, I'm James Erpine. Thank you for listening to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds' hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020 and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.